0: Contemplating with mindfulness as the basis, we are able to use the foundations of body and feeling and perception and formations and consciousness as the places where our mind can focus. And so having many hours in the afternoon to spend time in nature. We can watch the experience of our body in different places and locations. In places of wide open meadows, in places near rocks, in places by water, in places where there's big views, or in places where there's um, of calf like experiences. We can watch the entire experience of what's arising in our field. our body experience, the sense of the sensations that we're experiencing, our posture, the quality of pleasant and pleasant and neutral, the perception and the things that are rising in our mind. Does the mind become settled? Does it become still? Does it become agitated? Does it become calm? Do we become joyful? Do we become contracted? Do we become expanded? And so the body in these different environments is a template for being able to watch what's arising in our experience. And so the aggregates is one of the ways in which we can work with and look and see how we are actually experiencing things. And what is the aggregate that is the most prominent? Is it the experience of our body, our posture, the sensations of our body, what we're doing with our body? Is it the experience of feeling? The pleasant and unpleasant neutral quality of what we're experiencing that's very striking. Is it the, the quality of perception? Is the, the, the sensing of color, shape, or form? Is it the associations, the stories, the things that are connected to the perception that show up as, you know, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what's happening, this is what's going on right now? Is it the consciousness, that quality of contact with the sense door, uh, and the uh, quality of the line that connects with it, the, the sense consciousness, Our organ, object, and consciousness all together? And so, in this way, the whole bundle of In my experience, then we have some kind of leverage points where we can begin to start looking at it in terms of its constituent elements, rather than in terms of the entire bundle of what we ordinarily feel or think or experience. You know, I'm having a big experience. Okay, how, where, what kind, and what wrong, and what domain. Are you feeling emotional? Is your body lit up? Are you feeling a lot of tingling? Are you feeling excited? Are you feeling contracted? How is it? So, the aggregates is one of the ways in which we can use the groupings of Dharma you know, to have more perspective on what it is that we're experiencing. Now, ordinarily, in experience we just have the sense of me as being the subject to what all this is taking place. And when we look at it from the perspective of the aggregates, the aggregates have done in this me. And so when our focus is on body, the real experience is where I am. I'm on rocks, I'm by the water, I'm in a big view, I'm in a meadow, I'm in a cave. I am where my body is. Where I am is where my body is. So today. I'm a meditation today. And we need it to whether the quality is pleasant, and pleasant and or neutral. We're bored. Usually there's a neutral. Of sole the particular experiences of our mind. Literally is usually the associations and the perforations we deal with our experience. The fact that I have these experiences then informs the fact that I am. I experience therefore I am. So the experience of consciousness reinforces the fact that I can locate myself. I'm experiencing this, I'm experiencing this, I'm having this experience. The consciousness that we are locating identifies us because of the experiences that we're having. So when you start looking at the aggregates as a crowbar to get a little bit more perspective on the sense of me and how it arises in these different shapes. Where I am, how I am, what I am, the fact that I am because of my experience. But each of these gives a little bit more space around the solidity. And what we take we to be. The teachings of Hattah in the Buddhist is one of the teachings that actually separates out Buddhist dispensation from other uh, philosophical and religious, religious schools. In the sense of looking at but there isn't an intrinsic, stable, solid entity that is me, that I can locate, that I can that I can pinpoint, that is always there, that is never changing. And for most of us, this is not an easy thing to wrap our minds around because it's counterintuitive. What do you mean I don't exist? You know, I no. yeah, it a pinch me I'm here. I take up this amount of space. I am. I me, mean, I'm not. What are we talking about? So, our intuition around our perceptions and the way that we're living ourselves in our internal experiences is, is that I exist. But when the mindfulness becomes focused, and the meditation allows the attention to become settled and still, and we start looking at where is it that this thing exists? How is it that this thing exists? Where is it that this thing exists or gives the sense of really existing? Let's see how it shows up when we ask those questions. So we start dialing in uh, the concentration of lens, that's the microscopic capacity to see starts to, the starts to, the magnifying lens starts to get stronger. Then we you begin to notice that the sense of me is a perception, like any other perception that arises, that arises dependent on conditions, exists for a while, isn't stable, and when the conditions are no longer present, it will fall apart. And it's possible that in your days in the garden or walking, you can just notice that there isn't a sense of me. There just is walking. There just is sitting, there just is looking, there just is the sound of the birds, there just is the contact with the rocks, but it doesn't necessarily have a way a subject that is experiencing an it, the object. There's just the bare sensation in awareness. sometimes when you're having a cup of tea, or you're taking a shower, or you're going to a toilet. I'm not going to the toilet. It's just the pressure, the release, the liquid, the fluid, the warmth, the cold, the smell, whatever is happening. It's just happening. The isn't way that's actually doing it, it's just the experience. So, this whole thing of the aggregates. And the way in which we experience it is also related to the sense spheres in terms of the way the and the mind gets solidified around what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we think, what we remember, what we taste, what we smell. And so when the life settles and calls and begins to look more carefully, there can be times when there's just seeing. There can be times when there's just sensation. There can be times when there's just the sound. But it is because you only sensitive to sound. And when my mindfulness and concentration are not deep enough, certain sounds agitate me. And I'm go beneath the threshold and they're completely not a problem. And so it's not the sound that changed. It's the resistance to the sound, the irritation to the sound, and the need that's having an experience around the sound that changes. That sense of that still place where there's mindfulness and concentration together—that our experience shifts. For me, having it to just experience. It's just experience, it's just experience, it's just experience. I'm going to tell a little story and then come back to this. I was in England and, um, were arising in such a way that it was more challenging and I had the capacity to deal with in that context. and so I decided that I was gonna take time out and, and so I was going to go someplace. And there were many different factors that were going on. And one of them was certain internal stuff that was getting activated by the cable dynamics and some of it was the you know, I was born in Southern California, which is a desert and I'd been living in England for a while and I had started having dreams of the desert, you know, dreaming of the desert. And so uh, the, the partner of the retreat manager, of what would it was a guest, at El know, and we were talking about things, and she was saying that they they really had they loved bears there, and that they were very much welcome, and so I contacted them and asked them if I could stay. As it, was, it was actually a little bit funny, because I said to the retreat manager and I said "The you know, probably isn't really interested in coming is because I want to draw out so we had this whole long conversation about this man who was coming to this, potentially coming to the retreat so I wanted to dry out and I just actually wanted to know exactly in what way I was wanted to draw out <laughs> 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 one of the hilarious things about being a man, is just this kind of living like an alter reality, you know you know, like the language on the things, it's just, the you real know, association It's just like so far away that I just you know, forget. I and mean, I just have absolutely no sense that using what word's drawing out might mean something different to this group of people. Anyway, I was explaining to them that it was my bones that needed to dry out, rather than my blood that needed to dry out, and so they were cold. Quite... <laughs> so I went, and, you know, I've never been to Australia before, you know, I've been to India, but I've never been to Australia before. Australia, oh my goodness. You know, everything there is different. The creatures are different, and uh, the trees are different, and... Uh, the plants are different, and the toilet flushes backwards, and the sky is different. Everything is different. And we've got all these incredibly poisonous snakes and incredibly poisonous spiders. And the most poisonous snakes and spiders were living where I was living at the what? Anyway, so between all of the uncertainty and the and the poisonous everything, I was a little bit, you know, like a little bit apprehensive about going exploring. So, you know, I love to go explore. That's my happy place, is just to be off trail and just to go wander and to explore. But I was like, oh. you know, I was afraid something was going to jump out and going to get me. And I realized it doesn't look that way. You know, there's not many really other things that jump out and they don't jump out and get you. You know, it just doesn't quite work like that. So there was a process of becoming familiar with the place and getting used to the land, and the people, and feeling comfortable there, and, and that was happening, but it took time, it didn't happen immediately, it took time, and then there was a sense of relaxing, like it wasn't just okay to be there, there was a sense of like, the land was really embracing me, and you know, I, I've loved the beach, and I've loved forests, and I've loved wilderness areas since I was tiny. But I can't even remember a place where I felt the land embracing me like that. Where it just felt like absolutely the land was just delighted that I was there. You know, it wasn't like it was alright that I was there. It was just like delighted. And there was something about that feeling of feeling welcome. Feeling welcome that was uh, just a remarkable feeling. Feeling welcome. So that helped contribute to more safety. And something I started to explore more and go wander and I found cavey places and wonderful trees and nice stuff. And nobody jumped out and got me, you know. It didn't work like that. So I got a little bit more comfortable, I would go explore a little bit more and I you know, I'm feeling of safe. So, you know, when I got there there was a sense well, the people were welcome, and I was happy to be there but I was uh, you know, cautious, so I was there cautious and exploring, and then I began to feel welcome, so then I was there, and I felt welcome, and then there was a sense of, you well, know, it wasn't just that I felt welcome, it felt like I was, I was with family, you know, like the, the land, and the creatures, and the trees, and everything, and you know, were like, they're my family, you know, so it was like I became one of them. I became part of me. And then I noticed that then I would sit in these places and I would meditate for a while. And, you know, originally there was me really in nature and then really me in friendly nature. And it was just nature. You know, there was just nature. It wasn't me or it. It was just nature. And it wasn't the inside nature and outside nature, but it was just nature. And nature had those different dimensions to it, and it would arise, and it could be known, and it just was like that. And, you know, the real experience of just nature lasted for quite a long time. And as that lasted for quite a long time, I noticed there were some other significant shifts that happened as well. And one of the significant shifts that I noticed that happened as well was is that the experience of loving kindness or compassion or metta wasn't something that I wanted to cultivate, like to develop. It was just an automatic thing that it would just flow. And the sense of it was is that, you know, if our left hand hurts, we'll do something with our right hand to help it. Because it's like the left and the right hand, it all belongs to the same body. I mean, if our foot hurts, we look and we see. If there's a splitter, we take it out. It belongs. If there's something that hurts, if there's something that's agitated, there's an immediate place or way of, to go into care. Because it all belongs. Well, in that situation, I mean, there is just nature. There isn't a boundary of where I belong in it. It just was a sense of this care, this kindness, this interest, this concern. It just flowed. In the same way that if one part of our body hurt, it would just flow because it all belongs. And there isn't a binary that separates who I am from anything else. And that experience of kindness, of compassion, it just flows. It doesn't have a limitation to it. So the experience of releasing that identification of me had an impact not only on my experience of who and where and what and how I was, but also on the sense of connection, intimacy, and care and kindness that I felt around me. I also had another impact. I mean, last night I was talking about these different layers, And, you know, I don't realize that I have actually been living with an enormous amount of fear. But that, you know, for me, even though, because I had a certain amount of capacity or competence or confidence, then whether it was losing or, you know, that's a whole other conversation. I could go through the world with the appearance of confidence and confidence. And because I had those, I actually never noticed how much fear I lived with. And when I have the experience of feeling welcome and embraced by the land, that gave me a contrast to be able to notice the fear. I was living with fear every single moment of the day. It was just amazing easy how, how deep it was, how pervasive it was, and how unnoticed it was. It was really remarkable to me. Because this is now after many, many years of meditation and I, I haven't noticed it. So uh, it says about the local and that capacity to let go into a space where there was just nature. Not only was it useful in terms of who and how and where and what I experienced myself, but it was also useful because it illuminated, it allowed these layers that I had never noticed before to reveal themselves. There needs to be a certain amount of safety. To actually experience how unsafe you feel. There has to be a certain amount of, of harmlessness to experience some of the harm they've experienced. There has to be a certain amount of steadiness of mind to experience some of these things that have been like compressed and shut out of awareness because they were too uh, threatening to experience. And so it was very illuminating to me that, this exp- that, the, that the feeling of welcome and the sense of safety was bringing up all of this stuff that I had, I had no idea was there. And so there was like this geological strata of fear and anger and fear and anger and fear and anger and fear and anger. And underneath all of it was like this pool of self-hatred. And that was all underneath this bright swell and confident, confident appearance that I projected into the world. And it was sobering to see that all there. But when the tension is settled, when the mind is calm, when all this stuff can be known, it reveals itself, it can be brought into the light of the day, the prisoners of the heart can be released. Just by knowing them, by giving them the space to be seen, by allowing them into the light. Looking in the eye and sticking back into that box and slamming it and shutting it and locking it and putting a ten thousand pound stone on top of it, you know, just like welcome. It's welcome. It's welcome. So, the irony of meditation, the irony of calmness, is that it can bring up stuff that's entirely alcohol. And it's really a practice of discernment to watch what we do with that, that we don't spin with it, but that we actually bring the care, the calmness, the mindfulness, the lack of proliferation the stuff that arises. And we have to say, what's the way of practicing with this? That's not the wise way of practicing with this. And we don't even necessarily need to have a conceptual framework about it, but we know that when our mind starts spinning and there's a huge amount of uh, proliferation and association an emotional charge connected to all of that, then that's not moving into a place of still and steady and calm and insight and release. And so we can just redirect attention to where is steady? Where are we experiencing this in our body? How can we get underneath some of the charge so that we're not destabilized, disorganized by it? How can we use the aggregates as a way of grounding our experience, so that we're either poking the monster in the eye, nor are we the tail of the dragon in this kind of glowing tumor of the universe, but steady and present and welcoming what's there. So, one of the real pleasures of a retreat context like this, where we have time of stillness and time of nature, is is that we get to explore and we get to see the impact of when we're practicing this way, what are the results? You know, you get to see what happens when you find the perfect spot, and when you find the totally not perfect spot. What happens? And how do you relate to it? And so there's a, a lovely feeling when confidence begins to emerge. That there's a sense that, you know, I can meet what's arising. I know how to turn attention in a direction which actually is conducive. I know to look out for the signs of where it's going in the opposite direction and how to redirect. I, I get, get a feeling for the difference between following intuition but not following desire. I know, I know the, the quality of of that sense of, no, this doesn't feel right, and it doesn't feel like it's useful or productive for me just to bear with this, to endure it. It feels like it's, it's, what's helpful is to be more proactive with, with, with working with conditions that feel more conducive. Going to take steps to find a new place, or to be in a different place, or to make sure there's some sense of safety. Just as watching this, this flow of of what's arising, the stuff that gets activated, and capacity to notice it, to observe it, to see it, and our reactivity around it, and to and to move between bringing care to the conditions of our experience, and watching and observing what's arising without formulating a Solid sense of me who's experiencing it. I'm just watching, you know, that difference. This is, this is a, you know, if I can drop into that place where the sounds are not disturbing me, then I can practice here with the sounds of the cars. It's absolutely not a problem. But if for whatever reason I'm too tense or too agitated or I'm too tired or there's too much physical pain in my body, and it's just difficult to go there, then it's helpful to go to a place that's quiet so that I can drop in and have that, ah, oh, that experience of non-resistance. And then that experience of non-resistance, of relaxing to there's just nature, when there might be more insight about how to navigate the stuff that's arising. So aggregates are a very powerful way of working. Noticing where am I, how am I, when am I, and what am I experiencing that gives the whereby I am. But the sense spheres are also very powerful. And particularly in a context where we're out and about And we have to pay attention because if we don't, we're going to hurt ourselves. You know, there's a highly activated sense of sense, seeing, hearing, feeling. You know, I've trained myself to listen to footsteps because I do not like to be walked on when I'm lying down, and I lie down a lot. It doesn't feel safe for me just to be lying down when somebody comes walking. It's way too vulnerable. So I can drop into these incredibly deep states but I've trained myself to listen. If I hear footsteps, then I I come out of that and I sit up. So that there's the capacity to use discernment with the senses in a way that is protecting that overarching sense of safety. even though, in that space itself, there's no sense of there not being safety. So it's like moving back and forth between the worlds that we're living in. So I want to close with this um, sutta. The, at the time of the Buddha, there was a, um, a non Buddhist ascetic by the name of Bahia, Bahia of the Bark Garment. And he came to the Buddha and he was interested in instructions. And this was happening while the Buddha was collecting his alms food. So it's not the dumb thing when the Buddha is going on alms round to ask him for teaching. But he didn't know that because he wasn't a Buddhist. And he went and he asked, and he was asking, and he, the Buddha didn't answer. And so he asked a couple times. So eventually he asked for something that was just very short, very short. So the Buddha said, when in the seen will be only what is seen, in the heard only what is heard, in the sensed only what is sensed, in the known only what is known. You will not be by that. When you are not by that, you will not be therein. When you are not therein, you will be neither here nor there nor in between. This is the end of Dukkha. <coughs> when well, just with seen, without act- Feeling a self. Who is seeing? Who is seeing it? We're just hearing. And we don't feel, allow the sense of we really hearing it to crystallize. You just stay with the sound. Just stay with the body sensations. Just stay with the thought without living into the proliferation, without living into the associations, without believing it, identifying it, or rejecting it. The self does not crystallize. The thought is born in awareness, it's present in awareness, it dissolves in awareness. But there is no law no, that is no to practice this and we can use this as an incredibly powerful opportunity because there's so much space to explore or it can just be a holiday camp you know we you go out on picnics every afternoon you know and so what we're doing at this time and how we use this time in nature is really up to us just the scene in the herd, there's just the herd, in the cognize, there's just the cognize. We won't touch that, that is the end of suffering. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday, or a year ago, or five years ago, or a hundred years ago. Right now, right now, right now. The whole path can open up in the way that we are present with what we are experiencing, with the sense spaces. And the story goes that after Bahia had heard that instruction, he was killed. And when the Buddha was asked about what happened to him, or where did he go, or what was the result of his practice, the time it took for him to hear that and for him to be killed was very, very, very short. It happened immediately afterwards. But he got it. His mind was free. And so sometimes we can have ideas that, you know, it's going to take this amount of time or it's going to take this amount of practice or it's going to be another amount of years or another amount of retreats or we have all kinds of ideas about how it is going to be in order for us to actually see clearly and drop this habitual identification with clinging. And we don't know. None of us have any idea. And all of us touch into that experience of just bare awareness and usually don't recognise it. In the same way I don't notice that the pain on the walls or the space in the room because it's just here. It doesn't stand out with a neon flashing lights and all the space in the room. But that is an experience that most of us have a lot of times during the day, and we just don't recognize it. And so part of the practice is learning to see what we have always seen but have not. Recognized. And watch what happens when we do that. So I will close this reflection here and